Find out what the whole world is thinking in The Agenda. This week on The Agenda, is the world ready for a three-day weekend? I'll be finding out why some parts of Europe are in favour of giving workers an extra day off. Is Friday the new Saturday? Governments around the world are considering a four-day working week instead of the standard Monday to Friday 9 to 5. And the best part? Under most plans, while hours decrease, the salary remains the same. So why now? The pandemic and the working from home movement changed the way we think about our jobs, our personal lives and the structure of the working day. In some parts of Europe, the concept of a new four-day structure is already familiar. Thousands of workers in the UK are currently trying it out as part of a six-month trial. Iceland has already held two pilot schemes in 2015 and in 2019. As part of the project, staff could choose between shorter shifts over five days or longer shifts over four. The benefits for staff are obvious, but what do employers get out of it? After all, there could be hidden costs such as from extra hires to cover the gaps. Well, for some, a shorter week could be better for business, building more loyalty among staff. Iceland's trial results showed staff worked smarter and were just as productive and in some cases even more so. In fact, some of the world's most productive countries, Norway, Denmark, Germany and the Netherlands work around 27 hours a week. It's only natural then that more European companies are warming to the idea in hope it will lead to a more productive, less tired and increasingly loyal workforce. But when Henry Ford introduced the Friday feeling by cutting the working week from six to five days, it wasn't with staff well-being in mind. He realised that by giving workers more free time to spend their earnings, it would benefit the economy. That was nearly 100 years ago. But with growing fears of stagflation, could a four-day week, an accelerated version of Ford's theory, also prove an engine for economic growth for governments today? I'm joined by social entrepreneur Dr Hilary Cottam and Henry Stewart, founder of Happy, a company taking part in the UK's current four-day week trial. Um, I'll start with you, Helen. Um, uh, look, we've always thought of this nine to five, Monday to Friday, that traditional five-day working week. How, how did that come about and be entrenched as the traditional way of work? Well, of course, we haven't always thought of it. My grandmother would work a, a six-day week. Um, and so it's just we, we moved on from possibly seven days in the past to six days to five days. There's no necessity to have a, have a five-day week when you, can, uh, when you can have a four-day week. But, Hilary, there's a history to this, isn't there? Yes. In fact, actually, the five-day week, if we go further back to Henry, beyond Henry's grandmother... I mean, people worked in different ways, intense bouts, less bouts. They worked, craftspeople had their guilds and they made sure that they only worked for four days. And when the industrialists came along, the sort of Henry Fords of this world, they had an intense difficulty actually getting people to work to time and to work this very intense week. And we know now, both from sort of historical experiments and from the experiments that Henry's part of, that the less we work, the better. The better for the planet, the better for us. The World Health Organization says that work is killing us. And of course, the better for companies. It seems that the less we work, the greater our productivity. And we've got some incredible large-scale experiments from as early as the 1930s in the Kellogg factory, which show that offering workers reduced hours for the same pay hugely increases company profits. 
And yet, Hilary, it's taken the pandemic to really push people into action, businesses, governments, other organisations to, to make some changes. Are you surprised by that impetus? Well, I think it's really interesting how short our historical memory is. It's not only that we've forgotten great experiments like the Kellogg experiment, but I, for example, worked for the World Bank in the 1990s, where we had a compressed week. So we had every other weekend was a three-day weekend, and we had uh, core hours, which meant that although you worked a certain hour day, you couldn't schedule any meetings beyond 10 and 4 in acknowledgement, at least in the department that I was part of, which was run by a kind of Dane that might have had something to do with it. But you weren't allowed to schedule meetings out of the core hours of 10 to 4, acknowledging, for instance, that people needed to drop their children off for childcare and do other things. And one of the things I think is really important about this for me is that the four-day week is a really interesting beginning, but the four-day week is a male policy idea women would want a 32-hour week or less. But what we need is, and men and women who are caring, for example, need is a much greater flexibility that can weave those hours in predictable ways, but more flexible ways across a week. Well, Henry, you've introduced that flexibility into your work day. Uh, you're part of the UK's big four-day week trial. How's it going so far? It's going really well. Um, as we're working to a 32-hour week. Before it was 37 and a half. And I did a, a quick survey recently of our staff to find out how they were doing. And 79% were working the 32 hours and 20, the other 21% were only working an hour or two more. And the second question was, are you as productive as you were in five days? And 100% said yes. Said yes, they were as productive. But what they're getting, of course, is a great day off, you know, to, to improve their well-being, to meet with friends, to maybe see their parents, all, all sorts of things. So it's just working really well. Any hiccups along the way? I think none at the moment. I mean, we did do a pilot. We did, so we did a one-month pilot back in 2019. And there we didn't prepare for it well enough. And so there were some hiccups there. There were some people who, who got more stressed. But this time we prepared really well for it. We got everybody involved. People formed an action group. They looked, we looked at how to improve your productivity. And so now it's working really well. And any obvious changes that you mentioned that productivity levels seem to be on par with what you had before. But what about any other, anything else that's obvious that stood out? Well, there's... In terms of the, the, the productivity elements, there's uh, people are having less meetings. They're having shorter meetings, spending less time checking their email, which is a huge distraction. Instead, people are doing things like the Pomodoro technique, which is 25 minutes to absolutely focus your time. It's really interesting how you can become more productive. I mean, The Economist some years ago wrote an article that suggested that people are only productive two or three hours a day. You know, there's a, there's a lot of unproductive. I'd like to think that at happy people are more productive than that. But even so, we've managed to find ways to become much more productive and to do everything we used to do in five days and four days. Hilary, I have to say, with, with my business hat on, it does seem counterintuitive to, to pay people for the full week but only expect them to come in for, for, for the, the four days. Well, talk me through what you think. Well, I think there's a, there's a couple of things about this. So one thing is, I mean, if we look at the Kellogg's experiment where accidents went down by 40% and absenteeism went down by 50%. So, of course, actually what you're, you're, why, it, why it makes sense to pay people the same is because, as Henry's saying, you, you know, people are working 
the same uh, to a same or actually often greater level of productivity <laughs> by working reduced hours. But I think one of the things that's also extremely expensive in most businesses is churn. So, you know, here in our National Health Service in the UK, we've, you know, one in 10 care positions aren't filled. Um, 30% of nurses are going to leave the profession. You know, the statistics are really alarming. And actually, if you give people back time in order to kind of feel in sense of control of the other parts of their life, because work is just one part of our life, you reduce a, con a constant churn and people have loyalty and they stay longer with you. I mean, I think it's over a decade since uh, the organisation TimeWise, for instance, started in the UK. And first of all, it started just to persuade employers that women who had children were worth kind of re-employing. And even if they might need to leave for the school nativity play, that if you employed them, they would be so loyal that it would be worth that flexibility. And now the work of TimeWise has spread right across the economy because men and women want to care. They want to live fuller lives. And, you know, enlightened business leaders like Henry understand that they're actually kind of running better businesses. So it might seem counterintuitive because we've had this sort of treadmill for so long. But actually, the data shows that you will have a better business and a kind of more more resilient business. I think the other thing just to add, since you mentioned before the pandemic, is that, of course, there's a massive, you know, we're in what's been called the great resignation or others call the great awakening. And people, you know, don't want to come back to, you know, poorly paid, very difficult jobs. So we are definitely seeing that those people who are prepared to offer flexibility are able to hire, you know, far higher and sort of better, you know, more talent if they're offering that flexibility and reduced working hours. I carried out a LinkedIn survey asking people whether they were working in happy workplaces and whether people were leaving. Uh, these are self-diagnosed, obviously, but um, on those working in unhappy workplaces, 88% said people were leaving. But on those working in happy workplaces, only 38% said they were leaving. So it's very much in the interest of businesses to create a, a culture of well-being and a happy workplace. And if you think about, you know, look at happy, who is going to leave to go to somewhere with a five-day work, five-day a week when they have a four-day week with us? But also, I think something about this is I've been running uh, workshops with British workers from before the pandemic and, and now have resumed them with all kinds of workers, care workers, digital workers, mm -hmm. nuclear weapon makers and so on. And I asked them to design a good working life. And the biggest pinch point in a working life, a modern working life, is time. And it's about mm -hmm. the fact that we've squeezed out all those things that are necessary to life, care of our children, our parents, mm -hmm. you know, shopping so that we can eat or whatever it is. But we also squeeze out those things that give value to our lives and kind of give us meaning, give us leisure, give us time to, to relax. So we might, you know, you've asked me about the cost of business and I think the data shows it's better for business to offer less hours. But we could also talk about the cost of the state because increasing working hours, increasing the kind of <laughs> punitive nature of a lot of work, which is what happened gradually, I mean, not just with the pandemic, but has kind of increasingly happened um, through the last century, means that the escalating mental health bills, for example, that the state has to deal with, with people who simply can't cope mm -hmm. with the pressure of, of work, you know, that is kind of, you know, fast paced on a production line in a fulfillment centre or whatever it is for very long, often unpredictable hours, has enormous repercussions. It's not, it's not free time that, that those employers are taking. Hilary, I, I do wonder, though, if this is a plan that really works for Western economies, developed economies. Is, is it a UK thing suited to the UK economy that might not translate to, to other parts of the world? Well, I don't think we can say that for a couple of reasons. So first of all, um, we can see these experiments not only in the UK, but in the US, across Europe. I mean, I think one of the most interesting experiments is in Sweden, where they've given nurses six-hour working days, and they found not only that patients have better health, 
but that the nurses again have better lives they kind of they don't have any churn in their nursing system so we can see across Europe these experiments happening and happening happening in workplaces that you might not assume. I mean, of course you can say that, oh yes, the office worker, the World Bank worker, that's an easy kind of calculation to make. But we're seeing these experiments in places where you might not assume that they would happen. And I think there's a couple of things to that point. So one thing is, is that we know that sort of talent is, is global. You know, people are hiring and particularly post-pandemic when we've kind of left our offices with that cohort of workers. You can hire from anywhere in the world. So the terms and conditions really matter. But also competitiveness for companies is, is global. And so you have to keep up productivity and that requires th rethinking hours. And we know, for example, that, you know, in China, for example, there's been a sort of recent reevaluation of, of the hours that people work and what is legal. And I think that's part of a kind of general recognition of what is needed to lead a good life, but also to make sure that you have sustainable businesses in your economy. So I went recently to, to South Korea, and I know South Korea is a developed economy. It's not a developing economy. But there, the government there recently reduced the hours worked from 68 a week to 52. And when I was there previously, people said, how can we cope with that? How will we be able to do anything? But in actual fact, reduce that level of reduction. And I know it's not to 32, but it's, it's a, a 16 hour reduction in the working week. And there's been no change in, no difference in the economy and the productivity. Uh, people just, people are saying to me, people said to me, oh, I've got to find a hobby. I've got to do something, you know. Um, so I think actually across the world, long hours do not work. But also, I think across the world, we see that where we can, and of course, many people have kind of very high levels of surveillance at work, and this isn't possible, but where we can, workers, of course, kind of work around the system, and they do that in different cultural ways. So, you know, in, in, in Henry's business, it might have been previously checking emails. In other cultures, they have, you know, one of the things in Latin America is they have, you know, San Lunis, you know, St. Monday, well, I'll turn up late. And, you know, actually, we used to have St. Monday in the 15th century in England. People didn't turn up for work on a Monday. They were supposed to, but they didn't. And that, can, that went from sort of the 15th century to the 19th century. And so, you know, we all find ways to work around. So it might look like on the surface that we've got this product, that we've got these sort of working hours. But I think what you'll find is that, you know, the, the real picture is a much more confused one. And where there's a dialogue between, you know, business leaders and workers, and we come to a different accommodation, that is, you know, as Henry says, the happy workplace and the productive workplace. Now, Henry, the four-day week so far is working for you, for your business, for your employees. Um, I'm just trying yeah. to look at some of what some larger companies are doing, like, like Netflix and like LinkedIn, who are saying, um, guess what, everyone, you can take as many vacation days as you want. And the result of that is that people are taking fewer than they're actually entitled to. Um, is that a, another tool that you think would be useful in the business person's toolkit? Okay, well, I think what, what you need to have if you have unlimited vacation days is a minimum number of, of, of days holiday that people have to take. And uh, you, if you read the Hastings book of, of, on Netflix, um, you'll find that where managers take their vacations, then the staff do. But where managers don't take their vacations, then the staff feel the need to, to work to not to not take their vacations either. So I think there has to be a minimum number of days vacation if you adopt that policy. But I think it's so interesting what Henry's saying because this is actually about thinking about workers' culture, isn't it? And cultural practices. We know as well, for example, if male bosses don't take paternity leave, then all men don't take paternity leave. Yeah. 
And I think that this is why when I, I talked at the beginning about the fact that, you know, we are going through major paradigm changes at the moment with technology, with climate change. And we have to see this within those kind of bit within that bigger picture. So that's why I said that this is better for the climate. We know that people who are not time poor make better consumption choices. It's better for us because we're much healthier and happier. And that doesn't have problems for the parts of our society. So I think we have to think of this as a kind of much bigger cultural practice and how we don't just sort of say oh there's a rule you can take any days of, of vacation you like but how we kind of understand this as the good life of the 21st century and we model that and we think about you know how, how that sort of weaves itself not only into the hours in the day but the way that work works over a life because the other thing that we haven't had time to talk about is that in my workshops you know with all kinds of university professors grave diggers whatever there's a big pushback against the linear life people don't want this life where you study you work you retire healthy if you're lucky but quite often physically quite destroyed by your work and we need to think much more about how you know people need lots of chances to kind of relearn to adapt so i think this is the beginning of a much bigger conversation about how we weave our lives and work and time together in new ways so henry if this is about a shift in workplace culture do you think the conversation should be more about tailoring work around people's personal lives the families care they need to give to children to to, to the elderly yes i think it's uh happy people work whatever hours they want to you know, they uh, obviously have to turn up if they're a facilitator and they need to teach a training course. But for 20 years, we've, we've had a policy that people can decide. They can have compressed hours. They can have shorter days. They're, yeah, it's, uh, so, and it is beneficial to us because if people feel well-nourished, well-rested and supported, they're going to do a better service to our customers. Dr. Hilary Cottam and Henry Stewart, absolute pleasure talking to both of you. We look forward to also to hearing the results of the four-day week trial in a few months' time. Thank you. Still to come here on the agenda. More rest for Reykjavik as the home of the world's first major four-day week trial. We'll find out if Iceland has warmed to shorter working hours. Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. Welcome back to the agenda. In 2015, Iceland began what were then the world's largest trials to reduce working hours. So seven years on, what does the working culture look like now? Well, let's find out from someone who was chosen to introduce that experiment to her own workplace, public health project manager, Arne Hron Aradotte. She joins me now from Reykjavik. Thanks ever so much for, for coming on the programme. Um, first of all, where did the impetus for, for this move come from? Was it government, was it business or both? Yes, it came from the Reykjavik Council office. So uh, we started as a pilot project in 2015. That's right. So you're saying it was politically motivated. It was less about what staff and what people wanted. It was more about winning votes? No, it started because um, after, you know, Iceland collapsed in 2008, we were having really difficult, you know, the staff in my office, we had burnout long sick leaves and so uh, the city council wanted to see if we can they could uh, uh, reduce the sickness of the staff members uh, so we started this pilot project and we were wor working only like 35 hours per week so we shortened our work day for one hour in 2015 16 and 17. So talk through how it worked. You said your team were facing burnout. There needed to be a, a rethink. 
and you became part of this pilot program. What were the working hours like before? How did things change? We had really long work hours, um, eight, nine, ten work hours. And because we are a part of the Nordic countries, we have um, historically a long hours. So, and a lot of burnouts, like I told you earlier. So we were trying to have better work environment here in Iceland. So we were like two offices in 2015 who tried this. It was uh, my office, uh, the one of the service centers in Reykjavik, and the child welfare office. Well, we were aiming at having more uh, quality in, in work, and we had to like learn how to uh, reorganize everything. Like we had to reorganize our workday, and we took like time management uh, courses, and we had shorter meetings with clients and the colleagues. We had more like conference uh, calls, like Skype meetings between its institution in Reykjavik. You mentioned that you had to reorganize the way you worked and there were some time yes. management courses to go on. Did you, yes. were you able to get the same amount of work done? Yes, we were just by um, focusing on uh, how our work days was organized. We could like shorten every me uh, meeting instead of like uh, having a meeting for one hour we could have a meetings uh, for 30 minutes. And by because we were driving between institutions to have a meeting, we could use more Skype. And we were able to uh, close the office uh, three o'clock so we could all go home and be with our family. So, yeah. So that's a, that's a huge change. And you were able to make the most of technology that was available at, at the time. And um, mm -hmm. do you would you say that then it, it was a success, a success for you personally, but also for society, for broader society as a whole? For me and my family, um, it was a huge breakthrough because um, I am a mother of five children. So I could like my two younger ones were in like uh, after school programs. So I was able to shorten their school day for uh, one hour. So I was. Uh, one hour ahead of time. Uh, I don't know if uh, you have children. You probably notice that every family who has this many children, they're so busy. They're trying to have a good working life. They're have, trying to be a good parents and they want to be involved with their children's life. So I was able to be home one hour earlier with my children. We could all be together in like cooking and do school works and and go in the afternoon for like swimming together or hiking. But when you go go home after um, a long working day, like and you're home around six seven at night, you're not able to do the things that I could do in 2015 to 2017. So our quality of life was much much better at that time. It sounds like it was a very collaborative project in terms of many members of your team having a say in terms of how it will work. But it's not a model that, that can work across every sector, every industry, is it? No, but um, we were the only one here in Iceland at that time trying to uh, get this uh, work pilot uh, working out for us. But from 2020, we have, uh, through Iceland, we have a shorter work week. So we only work like 36 hours per week now. But 
I think it's difficult for the the hospitals and the police and the people who work uh, night shift to make the shortening the work week working out for them. So I'm not an expert in how other other people do it or other uh, workplaces do it, but um, I know for Reykjavik City that uh, it's working very well and people are experiencing less stress and more quality time with their uh, family. Less stress is always good to hear, but I I also understand (laughs) that the the trial led to huge changes in the rights of employees to to, to make demands of of their employers in terms of the hours that they keep and in terms of how flexible they could be. I mean, do you think it's changed the way that people in Iceland perceive work? Yes, it has changed the discussion of that your working life isn't everything. We know that now uh, researchers are telling us that by if you work a lot, uh, you have this a lot of stress in your life and you don't have quality time for yourself and your family, you will have all kinds of um, diseases like uh, uh, diabetes. And what we are like thinking here in Iceland that uh, you have more, you should think about the quality time with your family and friends and have more off-work time f- for yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Coming up on a future agenda. A year on since the fall of Kabul, we find out how life under Taliban control has changed Afghanistan. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all of the Agenda team here in London, goodbye. Goodbye.